This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got our Counterpoint panelists in place, ready to go tonight. Kim Wright, principal over at Wright. You're not with Wright Strategies anymore. I, I am you, Wright Strategies. You are Wright Strategies. That is your company. That's that right. is okay. my company. It, that's how long it's been since I have not had you in studio. So, Ness, principal well, of her ha- own company, Wright Strategies. Happy to be back. Good stuff. Mike Van Solen, managing principal over at Navigator. Hello. A public relations firm. That's what it says. Great. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you got Hang it. on. Yeah, there you go. And it's great to be here. Okay, good stuff, guys. Um, the headline that came out right before the dinner hour, and these headlines are coming every single day, but uh, according to the Toronto Star, Premier Doug Ford's cuts and changes to childcare funding could, not will, could cost the city of Toronto $84.8 million this year alone, jeopardizing 6,100 subsidized daycare spaces for low-income parents. And Ontario apparently cutting $80 million from licensed child care provi- across the province, including that $50 million fund which was put in place to help offset costs for licensed child care. I'll start with you on this, Kim, because this is not a known. This is the city kind of coming out and speaking, which I feel like we're getting into this territory of the cities versus the province. And so every day we're going to hear um, could, maybe, suggesting, all these things that could maybe happen, but haven't necessarily happened at all, because I don't think anyone's got their final numbers yet. Well, this is part of the challenge that municipalities face because they have their budgets sooner than the province, and a number of these programs are cost-shared programs. Mm. So what we saw, for example, in the public health funding was that the City of Toronto already set their budget. They've already set the amounts and, and how these programs should work based on the funding allocations and the and the cost sharing that they already had with the province mm-hmm. that they had been told were in place. And then to find out once the budget details started to go through the provincial budget, oh, we don't have those cost-shared programs anymore. Those have been eliminated without telling the municipality that those have been eliminated. So that's where we get into some of the challenges. This, I don't necessarily think, and the reason why I think a lot of people say could, is some of this is still subject to negotiations. Right, so and why lots put of the com- story out? But like, the, this is but the, the problem. But the problem really around licensed child care, and this is, gets back into Bill 66 and some of the other provincial legislations, is that there were a lot of regulations that were put in place five, six years ago around child care, around licensing of them, because that little, I think you, your, your listeners will remember, there was a little girl who was, she basically died in child care in an unlicensed, unregulated, too many kids in the space uh, to be safe. And in fact, there was a whole inquest. And so that's where a lot of these ratios, but also the licensing structure around child care, now those are now taken off. Plus, you've got lack of funding or continued funding for the municipalities, and that's where they're getting a bit skittish. And we're seeing this on a number of fronts, gas tax money and and the rest of it. But they all should have known, and I'm not trying to be meany, meany, you know, but everyone knew that there was a change of government, and everyone knew with the change of government that the, the, the money was not going to be there. And so I kind of feel like maybe they were a bit naive to think that the funding they had was going to be the same because everybody knew that the, the cupboards were, were bare. Right. 
No, they're absolutely blind, willfully blind uh, to not sort of look ahead. And it's one thing to say, oh, they're setting their budget before the province. Look at the new government that just came in. Look at the mandate that they were given. They were going to have to cut back, and that's you know that's what they're doing. And so, look, they're, they play stories like this, and you're going to find the most— how, how do we pull on the heartstrings of the population? Well, how, the do kids, we, how do we make these uh, cuts seem the most inhumane we can possible? Uh, child care is a pretty good way to go at it. And let's go, go to it. the low income. And, and let's, so, so uh, look, it's an important program, and that's probably why they're getting some traction, uh, and that's why they place it with the Toronto Star to get, get some attention for it. Um, but the, the Ford government has a lot of cleaning up to do because the, the cupboards were bare. Uh, even the, even the childcare piece is fascinating to me. Uh, you know, the, the reason the childcare, uh, centers were under pressure, was because the previous government raised the minimum wage, which was, which was the labor pressure that they had. Then they put in place a, a one-time fund to help, uh, uh, ameliorate that. But that doesn't work. You know, the the wages aren't coming back down and the one-time fund disappears. And so this is what creates the pressure that they are. Look, there's going to be pain for this province because we have to cut back because we were spending more than we were taking in and difficult choices need to be made. The city also has a lot of choices to make. They can profile the money as, as is appropriate and, and they, they can make the choices. If if the the there's nothing more more uh, more easy to cut than childcare spaces, I guess that's what they'll do. So there's a couple of parts to that, though. In the provincial government, actually, their budget is higher than the last government's last budget, which was an election budget. So I mean, those numbers are always crazy inflated. So then it becomes a question about program and analysis. And what we've seen on a number of these has been that would be fine if we were talking about next year or future years. But the fact that most of these cuts that are being proposed in the budget, uh, the provincial budget, are retroactive. And that's where we get into some challenges. You can't plan for somebody saying, thinking you have all of these ducks in a row and say, no, actually, we're going to go back to here. Now, whether or not this was, was something that the government chose to do or somebody slipped it into the budget without thinking about the unintended I, I consequences? Don't, I don't know. And that's well, the that, source again, of the We don't know. We just know that someone said something to somebody. It might happen. It could happen. It, it, it was supposed to happen. It was rumored to happen. And then it gets in the paper. It gets in the media and it becomes a thing. And then people get hysterical about it. And then a, a week later we find out, oh, it didn't happen. Or, that's the phase we're into of this government. Which or, is, or it may have been on its way to happening. And then, oh, wait, no, these are the unintended consequences. Maybe we need to pull this back and look at this in a whole in a whole other set of manner. I, I'm prepared to give the government the benefit of the doubt on on these things, that it might be just uh, those miscommunications, but I think they need to work uh, through that, especially with municipalities on a number of issues. But, but we should also talk honestly. There will be some really well-meaning, great programs that are helping certain people that are going to be cut. Sure. Like, we can't do everything we were doing. No. So, uh... And frankly, so, I would so, la- I would rather see the city get rid of uh, the sanctuary city and give the money to these low-income... If this is the choice you have to make, you cancel sanctuary city. Sanctuary and- city doesn't cost people well, how do the we way... Know? Because they've done studies after studies after studies. And get it rid doesn't of it. It shouldn't act, be hard to scrap. But do, we are, it doesn't. It, it what it does is give people the it, that people who live in Toronto illegally, people who live in Toronto illegally. the ability to send their children to school, to access services, to not be afraid to say that the housing I'm living in is 
beyond substandard and falling down in some of the cases of some of the, but some of the I, I guess the things. point being that but, we're going to have to make hard choices but, and but, no one's going to be happy. But the cost benefit on san- calling yourself a sanctuary city, it's not like it's something that costs you billions and billions of dollars. Even there, are, there are things that we have that are problematic in municipal budgets, but with having not have this you know, consistency of budgeting, that becomes problematic. Okay, let me just, well, I didn't really, I want to we spent a long time on that one. Holy. Sorry, I could talk about municipalities and, <laughs> and intergovernmental relations for days. We got Kim Wright and Mike Van Solen. Um, let's pick up with our Queen's Park stuff because uh, a protest at Queen's Park that actually happened yesterday, and we did mention on the show yesterday, um, is getting an awful lot of attention today over that fake guillotine that was covered in fake blood and uh, calls for the beheading of the premier, gave a little bit of an act of it. Yeah, okay, it's political theater. Some say it went too far, including Lisa McLeod. This is disgusting, and it is a sick act that has been condoned by the opposition. I am asking the members opposite to condemn yesterday's protest, apologize for their attendance at yesterday's event, but it's important to know that this is the real NDP, and we have seen it on the attacks against the Minister of Labour's office, the accosting and attacking of me, resulting in OPP protection for members of our cabinet. They care more about activism and protesting. So, Kim, the NDP were asked, you know, will you condemn this? And they would not condemn it, not certainly in question period. And they were, you know, they were asked, OK, are you going to apologize on behalf of your MPPs who are at this event? Like and she and they kind of said, well, these are our constituents and they didn't really condemn it. But to me, when we've got so much political discourse going on and such a heightened climate of, of anger and division going, certainly in light of all the Trump politics, it's in the best interest of all these politicians to kind of unite and say, all right, tone it down a little, no? Look, they shouldn't they shouldn't apologize for attending the May Day protest yesterday, just like they shouldn't apologize for being at the health care rally the day before or any of those things. What is inappropriate, in my opinion, uh, was the guillotine, those types of things, for the same reason... Well, the uh, F. But, Ford poster that the but, MPP but, was but, holding beside Andrea Horvath, not, not exactly... But, you know, I don't think when we start getting into anything that starts to look like death threats, I have never been anywhere close to that. In fact, your listeners will know that I have, uh, you know, said the same thing when Adam Vaughn was suggesting that you whack whack the the premier and all the rest of that. There is no place in that, in a civil society for that. Protests, legitimate complaints, legitimate raising concerns around, you know, buck a beer versus buck a library... I am fine with all of that. But when you start to get into a situation where we're calling for the execution of someone, that to me is always going to be too far. So I have no place for that. Should they apologize for being at a rally? Absolutely not. Mike? But should they say that that is too far? That's where I get into it. The uh, I, I think the NDP should be, uh, they should apologize and they should be embarrassed to sort of be involved. You know, I don't know how close they got to the guillotine thing. But I, I do believe it's hard to you know, I, I, tr- I try to be consistent on these things because there is sort of an outraged society that we live in. And when people get outraged about uh, other pieces, I, I tend to call them out. And we're, we're getting outraged by some lunatic who had a guillotine. And I think it's it's ridiculous. And that person should be ashamed of themselves and, and sort of like raise up the raise up, raise the bar in what you're doing. Um, uh but but I believe protests can exist. And but the the MPs as as members of uh, provincial parliament, they should not want to be associated with that. They, well, if you're they, not if you're not okay with Andrew Shear walking out on a stage that Faith Goldie was on, 
Right. What's the difference? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you, you can't suck and blow on these matters. And I, and I have no problem with people protesting and even doing these stage theatrics. But we also know how quickly they can whip up um, and people can get hurt. People can, absolutely. And we've seen this over the years. I mean, you go back to the... G20. The G20. You even go back to during the Harris years, yeah, the Harris during, years. The, during the OCAP protests. Those got pretty ugly on both sides pretty damn fast. And oh, I don't want to see a repeat... You whipped at your head, yeah. Right. I don't want to see the, those types of things repeat themselves. I think it is incumbent upon all of us to say that type of theatrics is wrong. And also, you know, we saw this in the House where... Uh, the federal House where people aren't being respectful. I mean, get the discourse, I get it, but when you start to not use people's appropriate titles, for whatever one thinks about the Prime Minister, he is the Prime Minister. And if you're, you're talking about Little Potato? Little Potato and all of that. I mean, look, you can you can be clever, but sometimes you also have to have a bit of respect for the offices that people hold. Right. No, and I believe civility is important. I it I believe exist. in the right I believe in the right to protest and 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 I think we all get offended too easily uh, in, in modern society. But uh, I would still ask of people, and I th- and 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 hope for certainly elected people that they would act with civility and class in how they uh, engage. Let's talk about this because I, I think this is a terrific idea. Ontario, the Ford government has announced uh, that it will basically take off regulations and make it easier to build secondary suites and rental housing uh, to help with the supply issues that we have. And so they're going to make some changes to the Affordable Municipal Affairs uh, Act, and and they've tabled legislation that will bring in all sorts of changes. Really, that is improving the speed and cost of creating housing um, and and promoting a mix of housing types. In other words, if I have a basement apartment and I want to rent it out, have at her. This, to me, just makes sense. Yeah, and everybody from all sides should be cheering this. I mean, you know, the NDP... (laughs) Can I get a whoop whoop, Kim? (laughs) <laughs> uh, look, yeah, yeah. absolutely on things like how do how do we unlock more housing stock? A hundred percent. How do you do it in a way that you're not creating substandard housing? Absolutely, but I think substandard over no housing. <laughs> but, mean, honestly, but, this no is, housing. but this is the but the, and I, I've been in municipality and municipality that have had this problem where they're like, well, we're not we're not going to allow for secondary suites. So people are building illegal secondary right. suites, which are substandard in some cases at best, and then say, I don't know why we have a housing crisis. I don't know, because you're not building new housing stock. You're not building intensification. You're not building new tall buildings. People need a place to live. It's great stuff. And and this is how we build density. And, and people from all sides of the aisle uh, know that density is important uh, for the, 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 the to make uh, tra- public transit infrastructure work. But at lower To make prices. the city work. Yeah, and at lower prices. Uh, you know, a red tape is a killer in, the, in these things. And it's... Uh, you know, it's difficult to be a landlord in these uh, mm-hmm. today. It's difficult to uh, to get permits to build anything. So if they're going to let that uh, loosen that up a bit, because there's not a lot of free space here no. in the city, so uh, it, it only makes sense. So a great move today. Two weeks after being threatened with war by the Filipino government, uh, the president in particular, uh, Christian Freeland's um, office has offered to bring the containers full of garbage back. This is six containers of stinky, disgusting, festering, moldy, gross, liquefied. Like, I don't know what this stuff is going to look like after sitting in the in Manila for six years on, I can't <laughs> rotting. Believe. And it's going to go to Vancouver, so I'm sure they're thrilled. Yeah. <laughs>
I, I can't believe these canta- uh, containers aren't just rusted like that. They, well, they could even are. physically uh, move them. Look, when I first heard this story, I said, oh, well, we'll have to take the garbage back. I mean, it seems so obvious. I can't believe we've uh, sort of. And then it what, falls in the ocean by accident yeah, across uh, the journey? Uh, I mean, it's, it's an embarrassment. Uh, it was a Canadian company who brought them all there. Yeah, so why are they paying for it? Like, well, why not dump it on their front lawn? No, sto- no story I've read ever mentions the company. So I, 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 I we did read a story, and I will not say the company. I don't feel like getting uh, yeah, in trouble. But uh, we, we, so I never. I, <laughs> so if there's still a viable company who who can be held uh, to for those costs, they should be. Absolutely. And and uh, I hope the government also does that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not the Justin Trudeau government's fault. I mean, this was six years in the making. However, the Trudeau government did promise like a couple of years ago that they would deal with this and they haven't dealt with it. It's just if this ship arrives with six stinky, festering containers of garbage uh, during the next six months, it's going to make for quite uh, a lot of attack. as during the Well, I think this is, I think you're going to see that anyway. But this also goes back to part of the challenges that everybody is facing on how to manage their waste and waste streams. The people don't recycle in a way that they're supposed to. Municipalities have done an abysmal job of upgrading their, their systems to actually deal with garbage, Mm -hmm. but also the whole thing's turned out to be a scam. And, but also, you know, things like where we've got compostable plastics that continue to be developed and on the marketplace that could actually do well, they're actually being rejected by municipalities saying, oh, those mess up our system. I'm like, well, you haven't upgraded your system in, you know, decades, so maybe we need to figure that part out. So these are all things that need to be sorted. I mean, that's, yeah, that to me should be Andrew Shear's climate plan. That should be everybody's climate plan. Because Carolyn Jarvis did an amazing series revealing that not only is recycling not working here, it is costing us millions upon millions of dollars in municipalities. It's all ending up in landfills. And these countries, China, um, uh, Malaysia, they don't want it. Well, like, you keep your garbage. And they're tossing it back to us. Right. Well, yeah. now it's ours. This is this has been the this has hit the municipalities on a massive scale on their budgets. Michigan did this a little while ago, right? M- Michigan shut the door. Like we were putting trucks and trucks and trucks down the 401, uh, and then uh, look, every every uh, jurisdiction needs to be able to deal with their own trash. I mean, that's just how it's going to be, and it, it's a tough. Uh, well, it is. Tough but job. We have to deal with it. Yeah. Like I don't know we're, we're, if we can't send it out. I don't think. I don't think the Philippines is going to want to take any more of our trash. Not after this thing. And certainly the rest of the Asian countries are like, yeah, no thanks. We're we're not going to take it either. So we're, are we okay with it going into the landfills? And frankly, why are we spending millions of dollars in all these municipalities if it's just turning into a big scam? Like really, that's it. it that's called fraud. Yeah, no, it, it's a problem. It needs to be solved. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, even in my office, I'm always so skeptical. Like we have all these things labeled, and uh, you know, but the building comes through and uh, it's all seems to be going into the same bag. And some sorted out on the back end because they recognize that people aren't as diligent as they would like them to be. Uh, some companies, some municipalities are great about how they manage this, but others, frankly, have uh, kept their head in the sand and they really need to start rethinking this because it is a massive, massive, massive problem. problem. Absolutely. All right, guys, we got to leave it there. And I thank you very much, both of you, Kim Wright, Mike Van Solen. Good to be here. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Here on Point on Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.